Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week we ask the following questions. Why can't Democrats resist beating each other up while the real enemy gulfs his presidency away? Are Harry and Meghan heroes for giving the royal family a middle finger? Is there such thing as a good billionaire? Should we be eating the rich? Alyssa Mastromonico, Kieran Deal, Naomi Ekparrigan, and special guest Lori Penny join to tackle these questions and more right now. We've reached the extremely not fun stage of the Democratic primary where all bets are off and people we hoped wouldn't sling mud are starting to get dirty. On Wednesday, some of the Democratic presidential candidates gave us their sales pitches for the seventh and final time before the Iowa caucuses. Here's one thing they talked about, possible sexism in a conversation that two candidates remember differently. Here's one thing that they didn't talk about, abortion, not once. In order to make sense of it all, I'm going to call my friend, White House Deputy Chief of Staff under President Obama and unabashed public dancer to a good jam, Alyssa Mastromonaco. Hello. Hey, Alyssa. Hi, Erin. I have a question for you. It's kind of a long question. Do you remember when you were like 25 and a group of seven of you and your friends were all going to go out together and you meet at somebody's house and you go over to your friend's house and there isn't really anywhere to sit because you're 25. And so everybody's kind of standing around nursing red wine from a jug that's been in the fridge for two months. And you start talking about what you're going to do when you leave the house. And one person wants to go get like pizza, except everybody's already eaten dinner. And one person wants to go to this bar that's really overcrowded and has a $10 cover charge and it's Friday and like, no. And one person wants to go to see this band that none of you really know. And one person wants to go to a house party and they're going to be people at the house party that you're pretty sure you don't like. And so instead of doing anything, you just kind of stand around and talk about how all the reasons why you don't want to do all the things everybody is suggesting. And then meanwhile, the house starts on fire around you. And as the flames close around you, you decide you hate each other and you're engulfed by the flames rather than doing anything. Um, 
So uh, knowing me as you do, you know, I would find that a completely unacceptable scenario and would never let my friends act in such chaotic fashion. But notionally, yes, I totally know what you mean. Anyway, that's how I feel the Democratic primary is right now. We are all gathered at a house and everyone's like, let's do something. This house is on fire. We are going to burn alive unless we choose to do something. And half of the people are like, no, I don't like the pizza sauce there. And another half of the people are like, but there are people at that other party that I'm not going to like. We just need to do something. You know what? Fully, fully understand and agree with that analogy. Did you watch the debate last night? I did one better. I listened to it on the radio. Oh, on the radio. (laughs) Apparently, the only thing I really missed was Mayor Pete's new haircut, which I caught up with on Twitter. Okay. Uh, I didn't even notice, which uh, I guess makes me a man. Uh, But yeah, I I didn't notice his haircut. Um, What I did uh, notice was that it started very substantially. It was we were talking about policy and you and I were kind of texting about how it was nice that we didn't immediately go to the bullshit. But of course, we we did. We got there. It was a slow train to bullshit. Oh, God. Well, we did get there. Um, I want to just kind of get to let's talk about the bullshit, because the bullshit is something that seems to have hit a nerve with a lot of people, including me. Um, So in addition to all the policy stuff that they talked about last night, that is really important, you know, attitudes about trade, health care, child care. We talked about long term care and the cost. Amy Klobuchar brought up the cost of long term care. Those were all super important, substantial things. But another thing that's really important and substantial is the role that sexism plays in people's lives and perceptions of the world. And it's a little bit more esoteric than, you know, here's my plan for trade. But sexism has become an issue in this election again. So I wanted to know what you made of the moment when um, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders both, they had completely conflicting, um, I guess, recountings of what happened between them at a meeting in 2016. I mean, here's the problem. There were two people at the meeting, <laughs> Bernie and Liz, and they don't they don't remember the conversation the same way, which is problematic since now everyone's talking about it. I mean, look. Do I think it's out of the realm for Bernie to have said that? No, Uh, not because I think he's a bad person by any stretch of the imagination, but because like, you know, it's been a bit daunting for a woman to become president. Um, So was what he was saying, I think my problem was, is that it has been impossible, I guess, to this point for a woman to become president. My semantical issue with the conversation is that it appeared he was saying could not become like in the future. And so, I mean, it's fucked up. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important that you point out the the, the phrase, remember it differently because, um, and the way that, you know, our experiences as, as women or as whatever, as our own backgrounds and identities influence the way we remember things. Um, I, Look, I like Bernie and I like Elizabeth Warren and I'm one of the rare breed of Democratic primary voters that is I'm truly undecided. I do not know who I'm going to vote for, for sure. I have it narrowed down, but I'm not sure. And it really uh, sucks to see my two favorite candidates me too. Like duking it out like this. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's I mean, I empathize with both of them because, you know, it could be that Bernie doesn't remember saying something that to Elizabeth implied that he meant that women couldn't a woman couldn't be president. 
Right. This is something that we are very sensitive to, that EW is very sensitive to. It's entirely possible that Bernie said something that he did not intend Mm -hmm. to mean as she took it, right? Mm -hmm. But the whole thing, it's... Like, we all feel sensitive about it because to this point in 2020 in America, it has been true. A woman has not been president. But at the same time, there were like two people in the conversation. Pretty sure he's not the one who leaked it because here's the thing. If he didn't think he said it, he probably didn't repeat much of the conversation to anybody because it it didn't trigger anything for him. Right. So then it's like, well, how did it get out there? And and the other thing, too, is like, did EW convey like whoever it is that leaked the story is it even how she intended it to be relayed I don't know the whole thing's very sad because it's the same I'm with you like those are my two faves you know I love EW you know Bernie is the entire reason I got into politics Mm -hmm. in 1995 when he let me be his intern and drive him around Vermont personally but like So I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like I was watching the debate last night and you didn't you got the mercy of not having to see this. There's a split screen where um, they the the moderator like asked Bernie about the conversation. He's like, I didn't say it. And then he cuts to then we see Elizabeth Warren, who says that he did say it. And so they directly disagree. And there's this look that comes across Elizabeth Warren's face that to me is just kind of familiar. Like, I I totally understand the feeling of um, a man saying something that I remember and interpreted as hurtful or bad and then him denying saying it. Now, also, I I also don't want to treat Elizabeth Warren with kid gloves. This is a political campaign and she's behind. And sometimes bringing up anecdotes and and leaning into aspects of things that happened harder than other things and sort of not twisting the truth, but manipulating it for the way that you need it to be. uh, That's part of campaigning. And that's something that people always do. I'm just, if that's what happened, I'm disappointed. Um, If what Bernie, if, if Bernie did say that, I'm disappointed. I'm generally just disappointed in this moment because there are so much more substantial things we should be talking about. The house is on fire around us and we're arguing over what party to go to. Like we need to, we need to, the pettiness is not something that I, I mean, as somebody who has to do this for her job, I don't like it. And I know that regular voters don't like it. This is the sort of thing that gets people to shut off. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that's, that's, uh, just having been through actual campaigns many times in my life, you know, when all this started kind of, you know, coming out a couple of days ago, I mean, not to be whatever, but I'm like, really? I mean, at least in 2008, like Barack and Hillary just like knifed each other from the front. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, Barack Obama called her likable enough, which was, you know, not good. And then Hillary (laughs) got on TV saying that Barack Obama was as bad as a Republican and yelling shame on you and meet me in Ohio. And at least it was like more dramatic and colorful. And you could kind of like, I don't know, this was just, this was just like a like a bummer, you know? I mean, I think you bring up an an important point um, that the campaigning is always ugly. And those of us who were, you know, of voting age in 2008, it was wild. As a voter, I remember being like, this is crazy. (laughs) The Democratic primary in 2008 was crazy. And I was in the same camp. I was not 
sure who I was going to pick. And every single day it was something. It was something dramatic and over the top. And then Hillary Clinton ended up being Barack Obama's secretary of state. So, right. And this is the thing. It's a campaign. And I think to this point, we've been very lucky because it has been super civilized, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if only because how can 25 people all gang up on the same person? It's, It's hard. And so, you know, now it's getting like a little bit more real. It's three weeks to Iowa. And, you know, we'll see. But I am, I do have to just remind people, it was so much worse in 2008. It was horrible. Really, really bad in 2008. It was really bad. And today in 2020, I completely believe a woman can be president and that Elizabeth Warren could beat Donald Trump. I completely that is my view. I completely agree as well. And, you know, she did bring up the important point that she and Amy Klobuchar are the only people on stage that have only won their elections. So that was a... I did. I will say that one moment, though, when like, like EW, this is a couple of things I'll say about Elizabeth Warren. I'm not sure I've ever seen a politician who's fucking faster on her feet than yeah. Elizabeth Warren. She's so fast. Um, I mean, literally so and fast. figuratively. She's a fucking word ninja. Yeah. <laughs> But when she when she dropped the bomb that in the past she dropped her knowledge that, you know, in the past 30 years, the two, she and Amy are the only ones who have like won all their races. And it was funny because not just Bernie, but I think a lot of us watching when he's like, wait, no, I beat a Republican. And and he's like in 1990. And then he's like, oh, that was 30 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, 1990 was 30 years ago. Bummer. (laughs) And I said, the only thing I remember about 1990 is that it was the year God gave me Brenda, Dylan, and the Peach Pit. (laughs) And it's the year that Bernie Sanders beat a Republican incumbent to win uh, an election. Um, I want to talk really quickly about Amy Klobuchar, though. Um, She's a lot more moderate than my tastes tend to be, but I'm glad that she's up there and I'm glad that she's in the conversation, especially after last night. I was getting... I don't think that she's going to be the nominee. I mean, I'm not... No, I agree. I don't think she's going to be the nominee, but I was picturing her as a anti-Trump surrogate on the 2020 campaign trail, talking to people like my mom's friends in Wisconsin, you know, talking to people in the... Talking to women in the Midwest. She just... I don't know how to convey it, but she just she just seems she just seems like one of us, like one of the when I say that one of us, I mean, like women from the Midwest who are pragmatic and came from um, humble backgrounds. She seems like a person that people there would trust. And they do because she's, you know, been the senator from Minnesota for a couple terms now. Um, but I but I think that she will be a, an excellent uh, anti-Trump surrogate once uh, the, the race really gets heated up. Totally. Or, you know, someone's vice president, entirely possible. Yeah, she would. I mean, yeah, get her out. I mean, her debating Mike Pence would be pretty good. Pretty good. Be toast. Pretty good. Because you know what? Like, this is the thing when you watch Amy Klobuchar, you're like, okay, because she was the she was the the, what the district attorney of Hennepin County. Mm -hmm. Like she puts (laughs) she prosecuted criminals, put them in jail. She's a mom. You know she fucking makes a mean hot dish. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Right? And like her her grandfather's put his savings in a coffee can. I mean, she is a smart, 
she's not a street fighter, but she's like a, she's like a field fighter. She's like a cornfield fighter. <laughs> well, I also think that she has some really important priorities that deserve to be in the conversation. Um, that while her solutions to the problems that she identified might not be as progressive as Elizabeth Warren's or Bernie Sanders's, the problems that she's bringing up, like yesterday, she brought up long-term care and the cost of long-term care. And that's something that families across America are going to have to deal with if they haven't already dealt with it. There's an, right. there's a sandwich generation of people who are caring for both of their both their parents and children at the same time and it's completely financially devastating to them and the cost of long-term care is out of control and nobody likes to talk about it because we have really weird bad attitudes about death and decline in this country. Um, but it's something that's coming regardless of whether or not we want to talk about it and I'm really glad that she's bringing it up. I am too. So Alyssa, I guess before we move on to, to toast and roast, do you have any advice for uh, listeners who are feeling demoralized um, or a little bit put off by the current drama in the Democratic primary? Yes. Things are about to get fast and furious. I mean, the minute it's 19 days, I think now until Iowa and kind of like, this is when it all starts happening. You know, when people are really tested, when you see when someone's like right now, everything's theoretical, right? It's like, oh, who's leading which poll? And every single poll says something different, but like, we're going to start seeing what the American public really thinks. And we will see how people react to being in the lead, how people react to, you know, being in third or fourth place. Like, does it get really nasty? I just think that people really need to pay attention. And, you know, February is a psycho month. It's like every other day, there's either a debate or a primary or a caucus. And so gird yourselves for February peeps. But like, you know, just everyone has to remember that the most important thing is like the house is on fire. We need to get the fuck out of the house. And Donald Trump is a fucking terrible human being. And any single person who was on stage or not on stage, because I'm totally fucking fine with Andrew, yeah, with Matt, Andrew, with Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang point. is fine with, fine with me. And so it's like, we just have to remember, because it is true, like, on Twitter this morning, it's like, you know, John Legend said he was supporting EW and then, you know, he was get. it's just the thing that everyone also has to remember saying you're for someone doesn't mean you hate everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's no? an important so thing to remember. People are expressing who gets them out of bed and who is their aspirational like candidate. It doesn't mean that they hate other people or think they're a bad person or, or virulently disagree with them. You know, it's just like, just say what you're for. Don't tell everyone else they're fucking stupid. Mm -hmm. I think what about I, you? I, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I would just add, I'm sorry to Tom Steyer you. I agree. I'm just going to add. <laughs> oh, Tom. Oh, Tom. He was he was up there beaming like it was his super sweet 16 and his daddy had oh, bought him was. a candidacy for president and a BMW. I think that another important thing to remember is like... <sighs> If you're a woman or a marginalized person or you care deeply about women or marginalized people, politics seems extremely personal because it is extremely personal because it directly deals with you and your your life and the lives of you know people you love. And I think that, you know, that that explains why people who are on the left are so passionate about the candidates that they support, because it's I think it's even 
more personal to us than it is to people who uh, can kind of view politics as a game or a fun activity, you know, something like, oh, my God, oh, no, he didn't. Now they're fighting. Now they're fighting. You know, it, it feels very personal. So I think just have some compassion with uh, have compassion for the people who come at you in ways that are a little bit too much. Um, because I think that, you know, the times that I've kind of become unhinged over politics have been because I felt personally as though like my health or the health of people that I cared about was on the line. So I just think like have compassion, if, you know, if you have a, a friend or a cousin or whatever, who is really, really into a candidate that you don't support and they're kind of obnoxious about it, just be like, they care a lot. And that's a good thing. Um, and that's, I think that's my advice. That's good. I'm for it. Um, good. <laughs> we styred each other. Yay. Um, do you have any toasts or roasts? I got a little quickie toast. Something okay. that I saw that just kind of warmed the cockles of my heart. Okay. Taiwan. Taiwan doesn't allow absentee voting. So more than 5,000 overseas Taiwanese voters have registered to come home to cast their ballot in Saturday's presidential election. And I just think that's great. That's really exciting. Voting is fucking dedication. Voting is important. It is like, well, showing up is is 90% of success. Voting is 90% of democracy. You got to do it. Got to do it. Got to do it. Okay, uh, I'm gonna offer you? I'm gonna offer a toast that might me get me excommunicated from the state of Wisconsin, but I'm gonna Uh-oh. do it. I want to toast the San Francisco 49ers and <gasps> and wish them luck this weekend against the Green Bay Packers. Ah, uh, the reason I know, I know. Here's the thing: the Packers are a very likable team, and I grew up hating them because I'm a Vikings fan. Um, and uh, as an adult, I've kind of calmed down a little bit about it, but I still they're still not my favorite team. I like the 49ers this year in part because their uh, offensive assistant coach, Katie Sowers, is uh, incredible. She is the only woman who is on the coaching staff of an NFL team, and she is the first LGBT coach in the NFL when she publicly came out before the 2017 NFL season. And uh, also she's only 33 years old. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot of her in the future. And uh, so good luck to coach and good luck to the 49ers. And I apologize to the entire state of Wisconsin, uh, but I I gotta, gotta go for the 49ers this weekend. The cheese heads are bowing their heads in sadness. I know. I gave up dairy this month too. So uh, <gasps> yeah, it's just been oh a, God. I know I'm full on like becoming. No I'm, booze and no dairy. I know. I've, I'm a traitor. Wow. I mean, no wonder I'm pulling for the 49ers. I'm miserable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alyssa, as always, it was great talking to you and uh, till next week. We'll chat again then. Bye. Bye. Stick around. There will be more hysteria after the break. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. 
Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like parched? I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you... Stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Okay, we're back. We're at the part of the show where I am no longer alone at a table in a room in Los Angeles just thinking about my life and choices. <laughs> I've been joined by three wonderful women, and I'm going to introduce them to you right now. Well, two wonderful women and one terrible woman. Um, <laughs> I'm going to introduce them to you right now. First up, you can see her on Sunnyside on Hulu, and she's a stand-up comic, and she's very funny, and she's awesome. It's Kieran Deal. Hello. Hello, here we are. It's very early. <laughs> you ran into some Hysteria fans recently. I did. Oh, I did. I was at the DC Improv and a bunch of people came out and we took pictures and they were like, tell Aaron we said hi. So Aaron, Hysteria fans said hi. Oh, great. Great. Well, that was nice of them to come out to your yeah. show. And cool of you to get to go to DC. And they're so smart and, and nice and cool consistently. I think you would probably agree, Naomi, right? It's true. Up next, we have, (laughs) she's the host of the Couples Therapy Podcast, which those of you in San Francisco can see live at the Gateway Theater this Friday, the 17th. It's Naomi Ekparrigan. I'm the awful one. You said two wonderful, one awful, and I'll take it. You know know what? When I said it, I was like, Naomi's going to claim. You know I'm going to claim it. She's going to claim awful. You know I'm going to claim it. I'm the surly one. You are. You are. Surly. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy belated Kwanzaa. Thank you. Last but not least, I want to introduce a guest that I'm super excited uh, to have in studio with us. I've been trying to get her for a while. She's wonderful. She's a journalist, screenwriter, and her latest book, Bitch Doctrine, don't mm. say that on network TV, uh, is available <laughs> now. And you can follow her on Twitter at PennyRed. It's Lori Penny. Hello. Welcome. Yes, I should. I really, I, I regret calling my book that because I don't like, I actually don't like saying it. I felt, I'm, I'm fine writing it down. I'm very brave when I write these things down. But then I had to go on the radio and say, bitch doctrine. And um, a lot. Yeah. I had to go in women's hour and say that. And it's, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> should, did they say bitch doctrine they on women's did. hour? They did. Well, it's the title of a book. So yeah. it's um, 
but um, but they looked at me. You know, nice nice Jenny Murray looked at me, and I um I, I felt I felt very ashamed. Which is exactly <laughs> which is exactly not the point of the book. You know, it's, that's, that's the whole. You had one job. It's, uh, but yes. Um, anyway, I think I think um, I think harder about the next one. <laughs> well, welcome back to the states. You fled the UK about the same time as Meghan Markle. Yes. Um, what did that look like over? In the UK. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I imagine it was a true like nightmare. I'm just imagining heads on fire. Well, um, I, <laughs> disembodied. I, <yeah>. <laughs> well, look, um, I, I don't know if you've heard, but we um, we have quite a lot going on in the UK at the moment. Anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um, uh, it was it, it has been in some ways a welcome distraction from um, the actual you know ten car flaming pile up omni shambles of Brexit that's going on right now and. Um, I uh, I was so pleased when I saw. I thought, oh, God, good for them, good for them, um, brilliant. And and it's all, it's really interesting. What particularly watching my friends on the left deal with this Harry and Meghan thing, because. W- I get to watch my nice Republican with a small R, liberal friends wondering if they should support a member of the royal family which is amazing uh-huh. because like um and there was you know when Harry and Meghan are suing the Daily Mail a lot of my friends are genuinely not sure which side they should be on <laughs> you know it's like, it's like what do we do i have all of my training didn't prepare me for this moment but um yeah it's um it's a very interesting moment because all of the conversations about it are not really about what they say they're about. And the um, the American press has been much more honest about it. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw um, Afua Hirsch's article in the New York Times, I believe it was, talking about, you know, the reality of racism mm-hmm. and what that's what 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 the British press has done to Meghan Markle. Yeah. All of it is plausible deniability. And it's partly it's plausible deniability because it is the royal family and they have to talk about it in this guarded way. But every little thing that Meghan Markle has done has been criticized and do- it's a kind of mean girls racism. They have made they have made the job, and it is a job, of um of being this public figure absolutely horrendous for her and I guess for Harry as well. Um I'm again look as a liberal, I'm not sure how to feel about this because on the one hand I want to be like, oh my God, the royal family, I don't care about these guys. Ah, you know, heads on heads on pikes and guillotines, please. But also like I kind of love it. Mm-hmm. I love that they've just you know they've just they've just fucked off mm-hmm. i mean it's just a, and it's i thought i saw this i was like wow everybody should know that you could do that you can just leave if you are in a toxic family that is being brutal to you and racist to your wife you can go there's no law, law or rule against it but it's you know eyebrows were raised and he <laughs> in the passive tense <laughs> that's how they raise eyebrows absolutely cups were set down onto saucers amid silence yeah yeah people went people did this have you ever heard a british person do this noise it's a that <laughs> <laughs> There's so much no, little... but it seems mean. Yeah, it's very mean. And um, uh, 
and he chooses her over his family. He, you know, he loves her so much that he, look, it, this is a romance novel plot. I don't understand how anybody's not on side. Do you, do you understand which book you're reading here? Right. But I want to pivot to something that Laurie was talking about mm-hmm. earlier, which is that like if you're somebody who views themselves as progressive or like th- is a forward thinker, this is a tricky thing because on one hand, it's like Meghan Markle is a woman of color, first mm-hmm. ever black woman in the royal family, and she was treated like absolute shit, and she gave a middle finger to the family. On the other hand, the royal family is kind of bad. <laughs> They're worth like $88 billion, I think. Well, they... it depends how you value it, but yeah. Yeah, I mean... Meaning multi- liquid assets versus... Cultural okay. assets. A lot of money. Yeah, Can we just say yeah. a lot of yeah, money? A lot of... Lots a lot of... and lots and lots. Fat stacks of cash. Yeah. A, a, a metric rather than an imperial fuck ton of cash. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's a question of like, a lot of people are like, they shouldn't exist. And I think that that should the royal family exist or not feeds really well into a conversation we're having here stateside, which is whether or not we need billionaires. And uh, if we don't need them, should we be eating them? Uh, (laughs) So, Naomi, uh, I want to start with you. How much money is too much money? Okay. It's interesting. Can I tell you about this article? So I was sitting, the only time I read magazines is when I'm getting my hair did at the salon. Or waiting at the airport. And there was like, they had no good magazines, but it was a town and country. I said, what goes on in here? And I was reading this article and it was wild because obviously town and country is for affluent people. And the article was literally about like, how much money do you need Mm -hmm. to be comfortable? And according to this, in, in the in the article, based on living in New York City, based on having two kids, and, you know, if you want to be comfortable. Mm. And I think it came out to like, well, you need at least $10 million a year. What? And because it, because it, it operated under the your kid goes to a private school, you need to have a summer house. Your kid is going to have to have all manner of private tutors. Well, you're going to have to travel. Your husband is being blackmailed by the family <laughs> of the man he murdered. Exactly. You need that amount of money. And then there's the secretary guy. he harassed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then there's the, the affair he's having. You have to bail your oldest son out of jail exactly. and pay off the people. You need that. Like He'll old cra- don't forget the maid. Don't yeah. forget the cook. Exactly. Like all of that. What about your nails what about your hair getting done every weekend and I just thought that was wild to me and I'm like how much money is too much money well most certainly 10 million a year but I would even go down to say like a million yeah I don't know like I think it's like it all Mm -hmm. depends I guess on what you have to have but I don't think a lot of us need to have a lot of rich people need to have what they think they need to have Mm -hmm. bitch it's called rent the runway okay Uh you can just get that outfit for 50 dollars for the day as opposed to, like, there's so many ways these people, like, like a private plane. Like, the earth is burning. You don't need a plane. Yeah. You don't need a plane. Take JetBlue Mint. Shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so mad. I just hate it. Cut, <laughs> cut, to, cut to Naomi on her HBO show in the HBO I, private plane. To being I like, will not, though. Like, I would not. Like You wouldn't. No. Like, when I think about what I want, like, if I came into money, it is not um, just to have the money. Like, I would like to live comfortably my comfort and I don't know if again like mm. you know I'm in my mid-30s I've been through the ups and downs like all I kind of want is to be able to pay my rent and take like two good trips a year yeah like that's kind of it like I don't really well yeah and then know. if you do that and you are you have a successful career and you save up a lot of money when you die you can like make museums free for kids for the next five years. You know, like there was actually just a gift to Mocha here in Los Angeles where this woman died and she gave a gift to the museum when she died that was like, everybody, it's free now. Like because of her gift, people can go to the museum for free. I would pay for little black kids to go to school too. 
Like yeah. that would be my thing. Also, because I don't plan to have children. So if I did were to suddenly that, come in money, that, that was the I other thing. I was just about to say, what about when you have kids? Thing. No, the, you know, like I would. Ne- like I feel like my I would want my money to go to like brown children learning and then like animals. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's all. I would, if I came into money, I don't need that much because I don't like to clean shit. Don't give me a mansion. I don't know. I ain't cleaning those windows. That's just me. This is fascinating to me, honestly, um, because the I mean, look coming from a country where I mean we we did have social democracy until quite recently, um, and from and from Europe where a lot of these things, the idea that you know, museums should be free, schools should be basically decent, um, <laughs> that that assumption is more baked into culture. Um, this is something that is really, it, it blows my mind. I remember, um, so I first realized this, how different the American attitude towards wealth in that way is, um, in 2012. And I was, uh, I was somebody's date to a, a benefit event. And these benefit events are not really a thing in the UK. It was a benefit event for a local theater, um, for children who were from deprived backgrounds and they could go to the theater they could learn to be you know to sing and dance and um and this meal i, I it's still one of the best meals i've ever had in my entire <laughs> life and i was there i mean the guy i was on a date with was in the band he wasn't one of these you know <laughs> he wasn't one of these you know fancy people and uh, he just had a plus one i had no idea what this was going to be about mm-hmm. and we came into this room and these people were sitting around these tables bidding all this money for these little kids but then the little kids came up on stage and they started to sing and and like songs about how grateful they were to these rich people. And most Mm. of the people sitting down having dinner were white Mm. and most of the kids singing and dancing were not white. And these Mm. people were bidding. And I was like, wow. I was just, it was such a culture shock and it made me so angry. And um, because I was like, why should these little kids have to be grateful to these rich people for giving them this money. And also, why why should these people get to decide who gets that money, mm-hmm. who gets that money in society? I mean, things have changed even since then. That was a few years ago in the UK. But I just, the idea that because you have these vast stacks of cash, you get to decide who is deserving in society. And not only that, you get to sit down and feel great about yourselves while these little kids sing and dance for you and tell you how generous and wonderful you are. I just, that, it really boils my piss. I'm sorry. It really. Um, but that just sounds like a charity ball. Like that just sounds like a charity ball in America. Yeah, right. yeah. It was a normal. It was it was normal to everyone else there. I just couldn't believe it. Like as somebody, you, this was in America. This, this was this, this. It was it was this in one, New York. This one, New York. one was in yes. New York. Okay, I thought um, this know, one was in the UK. We don't we don't have these things in um in the UK in the same way because things are or until recently were funded more or less you know we don't have to fund hospitals and fund and and do fundraising things for you know uh, to pay people through school in that way although you know a lot of these things have now been changed we've just gone through 10 years of austerity which explains brexit yeah get ready for some galas over Mm. there and class is still mad but class is still absolutely massive in england like the where my 
parents grew up as like a working as working class members of society versus where, you know, like one of the biggest things for my cousins were to mm-hmm. get into like th- the right grammar school. Or grammar to get, schools, yes. To get into a public school, which is a private school that then networks you into a group of people that will help you get those jobs. And it doesn't even matter if you go to Oxbridge or not because you're in like the right, quote unquote, elite oh, society in London. The education system is incredibly stratified by class. And that is a, it's a huge, huge thing, the grammar school system. But um, I think the idea, Americans have this specific idea about the British class system, which is sort of, and, you know, you, you're you all obsessed with, you know, <laughs> with the crown, with Downton Abbey, down, bloody Downton Abbey. It's a national embarrassment. But it's like, <laughs> it's, it is. But the, um, I, I'm just, so look, I've been out here in the US for about a year um, working on TV shows, many of which have been set in Britain because there's so much TV set in Britain right now. And um, it's been an odd an odd experience because I find myself being sort of professionally British <laughs> and, and clearly that's what's, you know, I'm going to lean into it. I, you know, I want to make money as much as anyone else. Um, and, uh, but Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want it. I just don't need a lot of it. Yeah. But, um, and then I go back home and um, because I believe we should be part of the European Union and the immigrants are not the enemy, I get called a traitor to my country. So, you know, it's nice to be over here where, you know, I get to represent. But look, um, America in particular has this idea of Britain and the British class system, which is sort of a, like a, a portal fantasy to both a softer world and a world where you can like imagine, you can sort of vent your feelings about class and inequality in this safe safe way. Mm -hmm. And I think when you guys talk about the British royal family in particular, it's very different from when we talk about it, because to you, it's kind of, it's kind of real. It's kind of not real. But for us, I mean, those people are technically in charge of us. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, they do have a lot of political power. Um, and uh, the fact that they often choose not to use it is is beside the point. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, we sort of have a even even without having an official royal family, the billionaires and the ultra wealthy in this country have become the string pullers and the people who decide, you know, people whose names are plastered across theaters, people who are giving grants to Florida State. The Koch brothers give a grant mm. to Florida State University's economics department on the condition uh, that, that they got to, a lot. that they got to hire the econ professor. And of like, course, we're, we're all getting our Soros checks. Right. I mean, I know I know. I, I mean, I've, I've, you want to go cashiers with me after this? I'm going to just run cash my Soros <laughs> yeah. check after this. But you know, the ultra wealthy have have like injected, they, they engage in these charitable acts that actually have agendas and they've exactly. injected their mm-hmm. agendas into their charitable exactly. acts. And sometimes their agenda is just, I want to be somebody who can sleep at night. Like when I was living in New York, I worked for uh, the parent company of a place that I worked, always bought tables at charities. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I would a lot, a lot of times just get sent as like the representative of my specific property within this big giant parent company. And I'd sit at a table with a bunch of my coworkers and it was fun, you know, put on a dress, eat some chicken and <laughs> whipped potatoes or whatever. At the time, I think I wasn't. Whipped potatoes. Yeah, I was like. It's, mashed... it's, there's always this language of kind of S&M language around this food, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, some uh, safe word, uh, uh, broccoli rob. And uh, <laughs> no, we would, um, but but it was like, it was fun to go, the but it was. The safe word is capital gains tax. <laughs> the, safe, the safe word, yes. The safe word is Cato. Cato. <laughs> Institute. Um, but we would we would go and it was really fun. And one thing I noticed is that there was something the same 
across all of them, which is that the people that were there always seemed to more be more interested in being photographed in attendance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than actually the thing that the charity was doing. And that's like, you know, society pages, you see, you know, the, the useless children of the ultra wealthy cavorting at charity balls so that they feel good about themselves. There are also massive tax write-offs. I mean, exactly. that, I mean that. Exactly. this is like they, the, the insane exactly. thing about this is it's like if you need to offload a yep. bunch of fucking money because you are a wealthy person, you can give that money away to charity at one of the highest deduction rates. So if the government is going to take your money, if you're going to be taxed at an effective rate, 40 percent, 50 percent, 55 percent, whatever it is, but you can get a write off by giving away 100, 200, a million, three million, Mm -hmm. then you're going to do that. Money is totally proportional to how much you make. It's like this is one thing that Mm -hmm. makes me incredibly angry. It's it's this idea that like the quote unquote charitability. Mm -hmm. Look, man, if you're Justin Bieber and you have 100 million dollars and you give 100 thousand dollars away on Ellen, guess what? That's five dollars to you. Mm-hmm. It's no mm-hmm. fucking money. And people yeah. are like, oh my God, because that's a lot of money to most of us. A hundred grand is a lot of money to most of us. Mm-hmm. But I'm always reminded of this example, like when I was in Nepal, like working on that documentary, this family that I was staying with, they had four chickens. They have four chickens. They killed one chicken so that we could eat chicken that night. It's like, that's generosity, right? It's like this idea that like, you don't, out of the proportion of what you have, how much are you giving away? Right. As a proportion of their income, um, it's it actually, it, it doesn't go the way you think it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, consistently across countries and across income level, the, the, the less you have, the less wealth you own, the more likely you are to give a larger proportion of that away mm-hmm. in charitable giving, in something like that. It's, um, you, you actually, you think, you know, the more money you have, the, the less it would matter to you to just chuck away this much of it, but no, no, not at all. Well, that's one thing that people say, you know, in defense of billionaires is like, well, who would be giving all this money away if we took their money and redistributed it to people who needed to, I don't know, feed their kids or take them to the Mm -hmm. dentist. And the fact of the matter is they're not giving very much money away. Jeff Bezos gave Mm. five minutes of income away to Australia to help them. How generous. Five five minutes of your income, Jeff Bezos. Thank you so much. But what it comes down to is, do I want... Like Mark Zuckerberg's wife likes the ballet. So now the ballet gets a fuck ton of money. It's like, do I want a serious like do I want an oligarchy of benefactors to be the people who like have to care about women's issues or whatever to get to make my movie? Mm-hmm. Or do I want like a national fund which feels like a fairer pool? Mm-hmm. Nothing's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's yeah. the, the truth Os- of it is nothing. I mean, really Oscar fair. Wilde wrote this like a fuck load of time ago, but it still stands, it's still it's still true. Uh, he said it's immoral to use private property in order to alleviate the horrible evils that result from the institution of private property, Mm -hmm. which is what is happening with us relying on the ultra-rich to, you know, give us their crumbs. Yeah. Look, it's, um, I think the discussion of money and ethics is always had at a slight slant right now because we never talk about money in terms of power, in terms of how much you how much power you have being proportional to your assets, to your wealth. And in America, this is more true than many, many places because you can literally buy politicians, you mm-hmm. can buy votes. Supreme Court says um, money is speech. Of so. course, <laughs> absolutely. But we also think of money as 
morality in so many ways. Like the idea that somebody, because right. somebody gave $100,000 to this person, it doesn't matter how much that is as a proportion of their income, that is not just a net benefit to society. That makes them $100,000 more of a good person than somebody who gave a dollar to a charity. That's We measure because of, you know, we are formed in so many ways by the economic philosophy of our time. We, we we think about money and morality in the same way because that's what, you know, growing up in a market, in a market economy like this makes us do. It makes us think that, you know, maximizing profit is an inherent moral good in itself. But mm-hmm. look, it's um, it's about, we started off this discussion talking about kings and queens and princesses. And I think that's, it is in some ways a useful way to think about it. If you think about someone like Jeff Bezos and, um, you know, from, I've read all kinds of things about Jeff Bezos and um, some of them paint him to be quite a nice guy and um, compared to some of the other billionaires. And, and, I, <laughs> and, and I found myself reading this and thinking, wow, we're talking about this in terms of what makes a good or a bad billionaire. And I think the point should be instead, we should worry about how much it matters whether or not these people are morally good or morally bad. The point isn't that, you know, billionaires can be good people, they can be philanthropists, they can do wonderful things for the world. The point is that nobody should have enough power over individual lives in that way mm-hmm. that it matters so much whether or not they're good or bad. Mm-hmm. I, I was saying this to a friend of mine in terms of feminism the other day um, because when I write and I speak about feminism and I talk about sexual abuse, sexual violence, which is um, part of my job in, um, in my nonfiction writing, um, men often come to me and say, all right, so how? Do, what does it mean now to be a good man? What does it mean to be a good, a good man in this society? Because the rules are changing, and um, what do women want from us in in terms of you know how we should behave? And I, I always end up saying, look, what matters isn't whether or not you're a good man. What matters is how much that matters. Mm-hmm. So what matters is that we still live in a society where a woman's life can be changed utterly depending on whether or not the men in her life are decent people or not. Mm-hmm. And it's not a question of their individual decency isn't what matters. The power that they have, whether or not they choose to exercise it, is what matters. And that is my, um, that's my main argument against billionaires. I don't think people should have that much power. And bear in mind that the difference between being a billionaire and being a millionaire is something that is incomprehensible on, a, on an everyday practical level mm-hmm. to right. a great many of us. You know, if you have a billion dollars, you are earning more money every year just by letting that billion mm-hmm. dollars sit there yeah. than most people will see in their lifetime. Right, that- you're not working, right. your money is working. Right. And, and Absolutely. Well, it also like goes into sort of what you're what you're saying Lori though too about um what a billionaire is supposed to be, you know, that also ties into a lot of like prosperity gospel stuff. Mm-hmm. And this idea of that like, you know, I think I see so many arguments around billionaires being like, "Well, he worked for that money, so leave him yeah, alone." Yeah. And it's like I'm not saying that um there are times where people are touched by genius uh, and their innovations and those things, you know, matter and affect the world for years to come. But does that mean that you have billions of dollars that just kind of sits there and works for you? Like the question is like kind of how we compensate people for certain work and this feeling that like, 
they did this thing in so in a way they were touched by God and deserve all the things. It's the divine right of kings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just absolutely. like, absolutely not. And especially like, I don't know, I think about it, it's like, because, oh, because we're talking about money too. Like when I think about it, you know what How what I want money for? I want money so that like when I get old and infirm, again, as someone who doesn't have kids, I can afford to find someone to take care of me <laughs> or to like pay for like a decent But all um, that stuff home. is very expensive, Naomi. But that's my point. Especially in this, especially in this which state. Which sucks, which like literally sucks, It's very right? expensive. But it's like, but I think about, I'm like, oh, like the extent to which for these billionaires where it's like, look, you're, you might live until 92, mm-hmm. you know, you're 60 now. How reasonably how many billions of your dollars can you spend in 30 years? Well, a lot of those guys, they're doing that thing where they give away the money or like what, you know, when they die, they they'll like Bill Gates has a thing, right? Yeah, where it's his like charity. Yeah. Where he's like, you know, the kids get to keep a fraction of it or whatever it is. But it's so the, the, the number of his own fucking workers. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, come on. Yeah. What is that? We, we always I mean, um, he sorry. pay those people enough money to live and they don't have time oh, for bathroom oh, breaks. Oh, and the, like, oh that article. Yeah. Yes, yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I was like, I don't understand. You can literally help all of those people and still be comfortable, be uncomfortable. Three houses comfortable. Yeah. Look, it's um, I, I, what you're saying in terms of, you know, I want this amount of money so I can take care of myself in old age. You're talking about you want enough money to have power over your own life. And um, and I feel like that's that's the answer we were looking for at the start. How much money is enough money? Too much money? I think too much money is or too much wealth, too many assets, it's it's too much when it gives you a vast amount of power over the lives of other people, whether or not you do good things with that power. Mm-hmm. I don't think people, I don't think it is moral to have that power. And actually what the conversation we're having right now, it's fun. Again, it's funny. We started talking about Harry and Meghan because look, Power and unearned power always looks for ways to justify itself. And back back in the day, before the uh, bef- before the Enlightenment, there was this thing called the divine right of kings, which lots of people have heard about. And but it's basically the idea that kings and queens were kings and queens because God had chosen them, mm-hmm. and that made them not just better than other people, but that made it immoral to question them. And um, and that people accepted this because otherwise people would not accept it. Mm-hmm. You know, this was the story people told themselves to make themselves okay with the fact that these people had a vast amount of power literally over people's lives. They could order an execution whenever they wanted. And they told this story about the divine right of kings. And um, and now we tell ourselves a story about work because work is the, is the morality of our time. We tell ourselves that it's okay for those people to have this much power because because they've worked very hard or they're some kind of special genius mm-hmm. even though that doesn't make sense it doesn't make it's impossible for anybody to work a hundred thousand times as hard as anybody else and I think <laughs> I honestly think in a century or so we're going to look back on discussions like this much as we look back right now on the idea like the, on ideas like the divine right of kings and say you know well that that seems illogical that seems stupid we but won't people, be alive in a hundred years because no, no one could pay for our GoFundMe my, for our bill my friend Frozen head. My frozen head will look on with amusement. I will be <laughs> cryogenically frozen. I want to pivot really quick into U.S. politics because an anti-billionaire attitude seems like it's catching on. It's catching mm. on with our with our major candidates for the Democratic nomination for president. Elizabeth Warren is proposing a wealth tax of two percent for everything over, I think, fifty million in wealth. Which is, can we just talk Very about conservative? Uh, but, really. but how is that? 
not already fucking happening. Right. Like, how is that a controversial fucking idea? What's your effective tax rate? I don't know. It's it's infuriating. Has it has it like has these like this realization informed your political attitudes? Like as you approach 2020, are you taking into consideration the candidates attitudes toward the mega wealthy? I mean, I, I, I'm always, I've always been anti-wealthy, Aaron. I mean, obviously this is like a, a very, like, it was like. So you're co- like a hipster about it. You're like, I hated the rich before everybody else. <laughs> no, I think that I, when the question on this document was something like, what do we do about billionaires? And I was like, well, there's not going to be anyone who is going to, nobody at the table is going to be like, oh yeah, let's, <laughs> let's keep them. They're important. We need, we need, we I need mean, those billionaires. But you see that though. You see, whenever I'm like billionaires should, I tweeted something that was like billionaires shouldn't exist. And a lot of people were like, um, actually, they're good. Who is going to give some charity? Like, what do you think, Naomi, what do you think is the psychology behind people who oppose Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax or oppose Bernie Sanders' rhetoric about eliminating billionaires? What did what do you think is going on in their heads that they have to stand up and be like, <laughs> I'll defend you? I know. Don't you think sometimes, oh, God, I forgot what I was watching, what it's like, you know, I hate the rich um, until I am one. This idea that mm-hmm. I think we in America, right? Because America has this myth that anybody can be anything. And if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And so I think so many people are like, I could one day have this or I could be this person and don't take away my um, non-existent but future possible wealth. God. And it's like, babe, if you ain't got it by 25, you ain't got what? Yeah. What? Country. Like, the, and, and, and it's the best. It's the best and the most crippling part of this country. It's like one of the one of the one of the biggest exports of America globally is this idea that you can be anything in America, that who you mm-hmm. are does not stop who you can be. Right. And this is this is I think it's a, a powerful cultural narrative that is quite noble and yeah. really speaks to immigrants in a way that's really beautiful. And at the same time, the actual upward social mobility yes. through classes, especially when you're talking about that jump from millionaire to billionaire, it's like less. What is it? Less than one percent of our country or one percent of our country holds 40 percent of the wealth. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not right. That's yeah. pretty, I that's mean, pretty yeah. gross. That's, I mean, yeah. but the, here's the thing about the American dream. Like at some point you Sorry. have to. To acknowledge that you're it's not that isn't gonna yes. happen for you. Like yeah. there came a point, I think I was like 25, where I was watching the Olympics. I was in my mid-20s. I was watching Olympics mm-hmm. gymnastics and I was like, I'm never gonna be an Olympic gymnast. But like <laughs> it was like, oh, of course not. Of course I never was going to be but one, Aaron, but now it's like impossible. But Aaron, you wrote for you're writing for television. Like I'm a child of immigrants. I went to Harvard. Like there is there is true upward social mobility in this country. It doesn't mean that you're gonna get no. all of the money I'm or talking all of whatever. becoming a billionaire. Like, yeah. But there's yeah. always, like, there are always exceptions to rules. Look, this idea of social mobility, which is what you're talking about when we talk about the American dream, and I feel like in some ways it makes me a little bit, it makes me bristle a little bit that America has sort of, like, claimed social mobility as it's very, as it's special. Like, I'm sure somebody else thought of that first. But the <laughs> idea, particularly because America is a place, well, the United States is a place where, you know, social mobility is really the exception to the rule. It's very very hard to rise from your class but yeah. the idea um you know whatever kind of social class you're talking about the social the idea of social mobility the dream of social mobility is weaponized to make you want to rise above your class rather than with it the idea that yeah. you know as yeah. long as some people can escape then it's okay that most people don't right. and eventually when you reach that moment when you realize you're never going to be a billionaire or a millionaire by that time you internalize 
the resentment and the anger about that, by that time you think, oh, well, that's because I didn't deserve to be one. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it works on an emotional level, I think, is something that people should be paying more attention to because it makes people believe that if they are poor, if they don't have agency and power over their lives, um, that's because it was it was determined that way. That's yeah. because they deserve to have, they don't deserve control and power over I, their lives. I think that's also one of the reasons, though, why I think, you know, we talk about, you know, what's the American version of royal family or that kind of thing. I think that's also why we hold celebrity up. Because honestly, Absolutely. apart from um, mm. developing Microsoft, the only other way you reach that upper echelon, that like whole new world is through entertainment Mm -hmm. something that the rest of the culture ends up deeming amazing right that Mm -hmm. you can't really control you can make stuff but who knows what's gonna hit or what's not yeah but like that there's a lot of alchemy there's a lot of alchemy you have to like design a lottery ticket and then scratch it off and be like fuck i want a million dollars (laughs) but like it's it's complete you're totally right it's like entertainment and sports Mm -hmm. are the ways that people reach higher classes. And I think we, that's, I think, why we feel entitled to celebrities in the way that it seems like people in the UK feel entitled to the royal family is because it's like, Mm. we gave you this, like we elevated you to this and now we get access to all of these things about you. Well, this was a great conversation. Uh, I'm glad we got to talk about, we agree, like eat the rich, right? Like we're gonna do it. I don't know. Is that vegan? Um... Definitely not. No, it's not vegan. <laughs> it's not vegan, but it is paleo. Oh, if you, oh well, that's all right. If you I, eat a local billionaire, it's paleo. <laughs> <laughs> Kira, Naomi, and Lori, thanks for stopping by. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, the hills will die on. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Okay, we're back. We are at the part of the show where we get really petty about things that don't matter all that much. It's The Hills We'll Die On. Let's get started with our listener hill. Hey, Hysteria. My name is Carly from Alaska, and the hill I will die on is return your damn grocery cart. It doesn't take that much time out of your day. There's cart returns all over the parking lot, Mm. and there's a special place in hell for you if you leave your cart in a parking parking spot where Mm -hmm. someone could be parking. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, I hope that your food spoils on the way home (laughs) so that when you get home, all your food is turned to shit. That's my hill. Yes. Yes, Carly. Shout out to Alaska, one of the states I haven't visited and I really want to. I like how calm she is. Reasonable. It's a re. It's reasonable. No, Carly all your all, Carly's all, livid. All your food spoils. Spoils. <laughs> I hope you starve. Is what she was. I, 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 I believe she would die on that hill, but I believe she would kill first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. She, I like she would die in battle. She, she would die in she, battle. She is an adamant Eve, but she, but she embodied the spirit. Yeah, yeah. that was correct. A hundred percent. I get, I get furious when I see people leaving carts all over the place. Carts in parking spots are like real. It's like, come so the fuck rude. on. Sometimes if I'm feeling 
really nice if I am walking to the grocery store from my parking spot and I see one in another parking spot, I'll take it with mm-hmm. me and do it. And that's my good deed for the week. That's like my mom's thing. She like loves to take <laughs> carts like, and put them in their place. Oh, I want to meet. She loves to put things in their place. Who does it? Who does that? My mother. I want to oh, meet okay. your I thought mom. You said, I thought you said maybe my mother-in-law and I was like, you don't have that yet. No, no. <laughs> your mother-in-law to be. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, if you guys want to submit a hill, listeners, you can uh, record a voice memo on your phone and you can send it to hysteria at crooked.com. We've got a lot of them, but we can always use more. We love, love your petty opinions. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go next. Um, update from World War Sleeves. Uh, if you're a woman or if you wear women's clothing and you're listening, um, you are aware that for a couple of years now the fashion industry has been trying to foist upon us enormous, ridiculous sleeves that have become puffier and puffier, mm-hmm. despite the fact that they look good on very few people who are normal size. Unless if you are elfin size, you can wear a big sleeve right. and you look fine. But if you were a normal size woman or if you have broad shoulders or if you're athletic at all, it looks Weird. Very silly. Upsetting. Looks. It's you upsetting. look. I. I always feel like I look like <laughs> r- rectangular when I put yeah. them on. I'm like SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> with sleeves. Um, Wednesday Adams meets SpongeBob. And Wednesday Adams goes to the 80s and hates it. That's, yeah, like, I'm, I'm. I'm five feet tall, and when I put one of those things on, I look like you know an evil doll from a horror <laughs> show. <laughs> like you know, I've come to life, and I'm going to kill your family. Yeah. <laughs> I would watch that show. <laughs> um, but the, the update from World War Sleeves is that fashion is, instead of taking getting the hint that it's like, we just want some normal shirts, normal-ass shirts, <laughs> they have upped the ante. Now, they're trying to foist tiny bags upon us. Whoa. I don't know if you shop for women's clothing. Now, the bags are all tiny. What? There is no space to hold anything except for a phone, basically. You've, Caroline, have you noticed this? The bags are tiny now. <laughs> The bags are tiny. They're too tiny. We need to rebel. Big sleeves, tiny bags. <laughs> Big sleeves, tiny bags. Like, what are we? This is unacceptable. We need to hold the line, <laughs> stand together, use our strength to deny the fashion industry the right to make us carry tiny bags. I'm going to carry a big bag forever and they yes. can fu- they can fuck off. They yes. can fu- I got shit. I'm carrying a book. I'm carrying a wallet that can hold the multiple museum membership cards <laughs> that I need to carry what with me everywhere. Lady. I know. So you know fancy. What? I was in museum I know. <laughs> I know. I hold on to like my I hold on to my membership to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York cuz I can't bear it apart with it even though it expired <laughs> oh. 2 years. I just have like napkins from McDonald's. That's you know my purse. I, I, I would love it if um, you, you could have, I'd be fine having a tiny bag if all the things in it could be proportionally tiny. Can oh, you imagine yeah. that? You could Certainly. get things You could get things in whatever size you want. So you could have like a tiny, if, if you had a tiny, <laughs> tiny book, you could order it in different sizes and like a tiny, a tiny, I don't understand this. Tiny I don't understand this. I don't understand this. People really like miniature things I re- I'm one of those always people. creep me out. It's I'm one of those people. I love, I love tiny things. I like, I can imagine having like a little miniature. But imagine having a really tiny notebook <laughs> and a really tiny phone. I've watched and these you YouTube just, videos. Yeah, They're like, like the Lego world. I can't explain world. the joy of it, but I'd love... Would, imagine having a tiny bag and then... And then Inside of it, all the tiny things in proportion. I think that you, my my best my best friend from home, is super into tiny things, and we have an ongoing thread of I will send her if if I see a tiny thing, I'll send her a photo of it, and she will respond with a photo. Can you of send it. them to me. I will send you the tiny things from now on. Now that I know that you like tiny, tiny things. things. 
All right, Kieran, you want to go next? Yes. I've been waiting for this one. Okay. And listen, this this hill is this is specifically directed at a hysteria member. Um and so I don't mean to be throwing shade, but I've gone yeah, to she does. I don't. I don't mean to be, but I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to. If it's direct, it's not shade. Shade is indirect. I I'm going to, and I'm going to do it wholeheartedly. I've been to two of Dana Schwartz's parties, uh, Latka party and her birthday party. And this bitch has left early on both occasions. And it's like, her what? Parties? Yeah, it's like, well, one of them was at her house and she kicked us out at like 1130. Okay. And then the second one was at a bar. And then she was like, is it okay if I leave? No, bitch, it's not okay. You can't, that. you can't leave your party early. That is don't, such a don't, move. I mean, Love don't it. invite me to your shit. And and I have to get dressed in my outfit to show up for you. And then you're just too tired because you need to take a nap and do your shit. Oh, my God. And like, if it's two or three in the morning and it's at your home, I understand. But but barring that, if you have a party, it is your job to suffer through to the end of that fucking party <laughs> for everyone who showed up for you and be there for them. This is part of the reason I don't throw parties, Aaron, is because I don't want to be there for people and I don't want to make myself that available. That is such a flex, first of all. I'm going to counter and say that good for Dana. She's, I know. Yeah. She's I the, love it. She's the only one that I can imagine pulling it off. And I think at that age, if I had the confidence to do that, I would be a lot further in life. So good for her. <laughs> but once, once is once is one thing, but twice I was like, this shall not stand. Okay. This must be a hill well, now. The next time that Dana's on, we're going to have you on and you guys can duke it out like I mean, Bernie honestly, I was kind of hoping she would be on so I could look her in the eyes as I said this and be like, what were you doing? <laughs> Leaving with a cake ca- with leaving with quesadilla money all drunk at 11, quesadilla you know, money. well, just that was my gift to her <laughs> oh, was yeah. the quesadilla. So she, <laughs> okay, okay, it was okay. like, but my point so is she didn't come back LA into the social bar. Nuance. Yeah. yeah, this is uh, fascinating to me. OK, fair enough. Uh, Naomi, do you want to go next? OK, I'm going to make it so fast because Caroline about to cut us. My point being, <laughs> she does have a cut your face. You, OK, you talked about traveling with your dog. We traveled with our dog. We returned from uh New York to Burbank, uh, we went and took the dog in the bathroom, concerned the dog might have like an issue. Andy took her in the bathroom. And when he got in there, he was like, he's like standing there. I'm like, what the fuck? Like the door's open. He's standing. I'm like, what? So I come up there to him and there's shit all over the floor of the airplane bathroom. Dog shit? Oh, no. This was a thing. And this is why I was living in a nightmare. So what you saw someone sitting in the airplane was a person with a dog going to the bathroom and then you uh, smell shit. The shit was there before we went in there. So my hill is, if you shit on the fucking floor of a bathroom, clean up your shit. Okay, it should be basic. So reasonable. It shouldn't be a hill, but it's a hill because this shit went down, and then everybody thought that our dog shit in the airplane. It was the last hour of the flight, and we were just the whole front half of the plane was like y'all are trash. But it was like no, whoever shit on the floor of the bathroom is trash. Because here's my thing: if it had been us, if it had been us, I would have just gone to the flight attendant and said, "Girl, give me the bleach spray." It's not my best moment, but I'm gonna handle it. And yet, whoever did this was like, I'm going to do this and then close the door and then sit down and think like no one's going to notice. Shame. Wow. They knew and there was, was a dog on the plane. Shame. It was like, the literally, shame like, stopped them. I just don't, I understand this when something is embarrassing or uncomfortable and you don't want to have to go and say something to somebody, but it's like, 
literally handle your own excrement, okay? Is it a hill? I don't know, a mound. A delicate mound, a slight incline. My point is, <laughs> it was upsetting to me. We then became the enemy of JetBlue Flight 359, <laughs> and it wasn't us. It was somebody who thought they could shit on the floor. It's almost like a pile of shit, oh, more than man. it is a hill. It yeah. was the pile of, of shit, shit I will die on of embarrassment. Oh, my God. So that People act like animals on airplanes, though. It, it brings out everything. It, br- <laughs> it was so painful. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. That's a fair. I think we'll all die on that shit yes, mound with yes, you. Yes. Um, Lori? Don't shit on the floor yeah, of a bathroom. Yeah, don't shit on the floor. <laughs> Got it. Lori, you want to bring us home? Yeah. Um, so this, um, this may be controversial, but uh, mine is, um, I think cats are terrible. <gasps> and I don't wow. think... Wow. 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 <laughs> okay. I do. Um, Aaron's really, been on board with this British accent the whole time, time and now she's like no yeah. but look, this is exactly time. this is exactly what I'm talking about look <laughs> like okay so I'm caveat I'm violently allergic to cats like really okay. I can't I can't go to half my friends houses because you know, my friends are um you know queer people feminists and goths and they all have eight cats they so I can't go. but it means <laughs> that I'm familiars. sort of I'm sort of removed from it I can see what these animals do to you you know and I hear you I hear you guys talk about your cats and I think like if this was a boyfriend you were talking about we'd be really worried it's like oh god I have to get home I have to wake up at six in the morning because you know my cat wants feed and if I don't feed him, he hits me in the face, you know. <laughs> Just like a human child. My cat never yeah. says he loves me, but, you know, you know, I know that he loves me because he attacks me and, he, and look no. at these scars. I'm like, look, no, 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 it's like, and they have, do you know they have a worm? They have a toxoplasmosis. They infect you with it, so you like cats more. Yeah, that's it's, fine. It, no, exactly. See, this is what, and, the, the and they get talking, away with Ryan. it. <laughs> the worm is talking through oh, Ryan. The worm's my plus exactly. one. Exactly, and they're so, they're so, <laughs> So photogenic. They're so photogenic. They're so cute. And like, that's how they get you. I think, I really think we should think again about our relationships with, with these animals. Yeah. Honestly, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I mean, they are little furry terrorists. I think that that's undeniable. Uh, my cat, Eleanor, has recently become Human name. less afraid of sleeping because the dog sleeps on the at the mm. foot of the bed. And Eleanor is no longer afraid of the dog because she realizes he's a, he's a, he won't do anything to her. So she now sleeps on my pillow with me. So the ca- it's a cat and a dog on the bed, yep. but she's colonized my pillow, and starting at four in the morning, she just stands up and touches my face over and over again. Really? Oh, Why? And so, oh no! So I feed Why her. Would you- I oh, I no. would have loved I would have loved if you're like now she sleeps on my face <laughs> she just I'm I've got a I have a Basically, breathing issue yeah and yeah. I don't think she loves me because I don't think she's capable of love but when I <laughs> left her at a boarding kennel for two weeks she missed me so much she tried to die yeah so like how do you uh, feel about dogs though oh people, dogs are great come on but it's the same conversation around dogs people, I mean people will leave a party for a fucking dog oh yeah. that's fun all dog. the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you weren't yeah. allergic, I think it would be a Some people will just leave a party. Some, yeah. <laughs> Their own. <laughs> Their own party for no reason. Look, dogs, other than I'm tired. You know what? I was looking after my mum's dog the other day and um, she left me in the parking in, in the parking place with the dog and that we had to and I had to go and have a wee and the dog had to come in with me because my, she's like mum's like, you you can't leave the dog alone for just one second. It was this tiny cubicle. And so I had to, you know, I had to do my thing yes. with the dog literally sitting between my legs. Oh, yeah. And the dog looked up to, up at me like, 
no one in the world has done anything as wonderful as, <laughs> as what you're doing right now. And like, that's why, this is why people have dogs. I, yeah. felt, I felt like I'd achieved something brilliant. Yeah, but if you have a cat, you're never going to shit alone again. Mm. <laughs> never. I, they go I, into the bathroom and they watch you and it's weird. It's creepy. I like the fact that cats are pretty and mean. They, yeah. I think Look, that's like a good, you, I think that's like, a, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 no, it's, a, it's me, it's aspirational me. <laughs> pretty and, I was like, pretty and mean? You go. Get it, pussy. Get it. Well, look, I, I can respect people who don't like cats as long as you do like dogs, at least, because I think dogs people who wonderful. don't like animals have something wrong with them. I really For do. Sure. Think, yeah. so, okay, sure. so that's all the time we have. Hills will die on. I think we died on some non-controversial, some very controversial <laughs> hills. Um, Lori, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Kieran, thank you, thank you for joining us. I love Naomi. you, and uh, Dana in spirit. And thanks to Alyssa Master Monaco for calling in. And there will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support and to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadina Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.